Hey, I love Christmas, right? It's, it's a phenomenal time of the year. Um, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of, you know, coming off work and everyone else around you's a bit relaxed and um, it's fun and it's happy and it's joyful. And I mean, Rose spent the last couple of days just wrapping presents. It's seriously, it took a couple of days and she's so good at it and she's so particular and she puts labels and different things and I just sat this afternoon and watched her and she hates it when I watch her wrap presents. But I found it really kind of cathartic because I was like, this is amazing, you know, just, I'm so used to being, you know, rushing around, doing stuff and just to sit and watch someone just fold a bit of paper (laughs) and then get a bit of sticky and stick it down. I was like, this is great. (laughs) How good's Christmas? She hated it. But I did say to her this morning, I said, um, you know, if Mary did deny the angel Gabriel, I reckon he would have come to you next. (laughs) And she said to me, where did you get, you know, Rose is really quick, really witty. She goes, where did you get that? (laughs) Biblepickuplines.com. But in all that, the smells and the bells and the lights and the Christmas trees, and the carols, and wherever you go, Christmas is there at this time of the year. You can't really escape it. Um, And Pastor Rhonda preached a great word this morning, and she kind of touched on the familiarity of Christmas, and how sometimes we can actually miss the message of Christmas. And um, it doesn't take much to feel Christmas. You don't actually have to do much, because there's so much outside of you stimulating you, whether it's a carol, whether it's lights, whether it's the smells and the bells or whatever it is, Christmas will come and find you. Um, But that's also the danger of it, that because it comes and finds you, we can almost miss or forget the message of it. And that's what I wanna speak about tonight, just how do we go back to the core of Christmas? How do we get over the familiarity of it? Because um, we all know the stories, We've all seen the pictures and, you know, year after year after year, as incredible as that story is, it can get familiar. It can just be sentimental. The nostalgia of it can take over us. And I just looked up the word familiar and here are some things. And the last one kind of shocked me a bit and we'll get to that. But one is frequently seen and experienced Christmas. Um, closely acquainted, we all kind of beget a bit closely acquainted with Christmas. We know what to expect. We know the drill. We know um, where we've got to be. We know what we've got to do. We know what things have got to look like. Here's another one, being free and easy. Has Christmas become a little bit just free and easy? Oh, this is just a bit of a holiday. Marked by informality. Overly free and unrestrained. Moderately tame. Has Christmas come, become a bit moderately tame? Like, oh, I know Christmas so well. You know, ever since I was a child, I know those stories. It's, I know it like the back of my hand. I know Christmas so well. And here's the one that kind of got me. Possibly known, but imperfectly remembered. Possibly known, but imperfectly remembered. Has Christmas become imperfectly remembered? And I don't think we sh- it should ever become imperfectly remembered because it is the greatest story ever told. It is the most phenomenal, significant event in the history of mankind. In fact, 
Today is the 24th of December, 2017. And no matter what you do on any day of the year, whatever day it lands on, whatever time it is, wherever you find yourself, the date will tell you, you are living by reference to Christmas. It's 2017, it's 2017 years from that moment. And every day you live by reference to Christmas, whether you like it or you don't, but Christmas is that significant. It divided history in two, it split time in two. There's BC and there's AD and we live in AD. We live in reference to that Christmas moment. For those who know me well, I often, you know, it doesn't get me anywhere, but I like to think of new business ideas. I like to think of creative things, um, how to make money, um, you know, new apps, that kind of thing. I'm always looking for a need in the market. Um, I haven't quite got there yet. I haven't got my big break yet, but um, 2018's the year. Um, and I was thinking, well, oh, you know, wouldn't it be cool to kind of make sensory Christmas cards, which kind of um, took you back to Christmas. And I actually had this thought, right? And I thought, like, imagine, like, having a Christmas card which just had a little bit of fertilizer in it. Or just like, I know it's funny because it's ridiculous, but like, and I'm going to say it, and it's going to sound ridiculous, but a little bit of manure in the Christmas card. Like, the, you know, the picture of baby Jesus in a, in a manger, but there was a little, pa- little pocket with a little bit of manure in there. And it's, it sounds ridiculous, and it, we're all laughing at it, and it sounds horrible, and it, but that is actually the reality of Christmas. You know, why is the idea of putting a bit of manure in the envelope when you send your Christmas cards, why is that, why is that funny? It's actually legit. It's, it's the real thing. Like, that was what the first, when we like, you know, Jesus and Mary looking all clean and showered and beautiful, and the straw just shining like gold and Jesus kind of laying there and um, in really white rags. But it probably wasn't like that. Like this is the, the, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings being born. And there's more animal witnesses than human witnesses. And the stench would have been overwhelming in that barn surrounded by animals. And Christmas wasn't a neat and tidy affair. It was actually, um, it was quite scandalous. Um, it was tough, it was dirty, it wasn't easy, it wasn't pretty, it wasn't beautiful, it was actually quite unbelievable when you think about it, when you go beyond the Christmas cards of joy and all that, it's actually quite a confronting story, quite a confronting story of a really nervous teenager, you know, holding the promise of God in her belly and being rejected by the community and going and knocking on a door when her time had come and being rejected and finding herself in an inn and then shepherds hearing the story and shepherds coming and visiting in this barn surrounded by animals. It's quite a crazy story. Christmas is crazy. So beyond the fanfare, I wanna take you into that stable. If you were, Okay, if you sat down with a paper and said, a pen and said, I'm going to found a new religion, I'm going to start a new religion, you would not do it with Christmas. Okay, you would not write the Christmas story. You would never come up with Christmas. You would never introduce God, the Savior of the world, the creator of heaven and earth, 
as a baby in a shed who could not speak or eat solid food, who couldn't control his bladder, and who depended on a teenager for shelter, food, or love. You would never introduce God that way. It's ridiculous. But that's how God chose to do it. You could never invent it. You could never make it up. And that just goes to show how true it is. That goes to show that it wasn't some airbrushed, sugar-coated story, but it's the reality of God, that God would humble himself and come and meet with us as a baby. As a baby. It's unthinkable. It's unimaginable. It's crazy. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 12, I think the scripture should come up. There were sheep herders camping in the neighborhood. They had set a night watches over their sheep. Suddenly God's angel stood among them and God's glory blazed around them. They were terrified. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in Davidstown. A Savior who is Messiah and Master. This is what you're to look for. A baby wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger. I'm sorry, but that sounds contradictory to me. This is the savior of the world. You To go and look for a baby in a manger? Wow. Big, scary, glorious, powerful, mighty God who always showed up in the, in the Old Testament as a whirlwind, who if you ever met him, you either died or you left limping or you left glowing. The God, the same God who said, don't look at me, you will die. The same God who said, if you come into your presence, you will surely die. That same God as a baby. Big scary God as a baby. Crying. thinking about it today. Babies cry because what they're trying to communicate is, hey, come. Come. Just come, come quickly. Come, come approach me right now. Hello. Can you hear me? I'm here. Will you come already? Is that that mighty, glorious, all-powerful, all-knowing God humbling himself as a baby saying, come. Come approach me. Come know me. Come worship me. Come pick me up. It's impossible, but it's true. So I'm, tr- you know, I've, I've spent the last few moments kind of appealing to your your emotions, but let me appeal to your logic as well. Okay, so in Micah chapter five verse two, this is written about seven hundred, you know, five to seven hundred years before um, Jesus was even born, and there's this prophecy, 
and it says where the Messiah is going to be born. And it says, but you, Bethlehem, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler of, over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And it's, it's a pro- prophecy about the coming of Jesus. And, they, and this is Micah saying Jesus will be born, or the, the Savior will be born in Bethlehem. And these messianic prophecies, they call them, which foreshadow the coming of the Messiah. There's about 365 of them. And for example, there's another one here, Isaiah chapter 7. Screeners, you probably don't have this one, but that's okay. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she shall call him Emmanuel. You know, there are these prophecies scattered throughout the whole Old Testament saying where he'll be born, how he'll be born, where he'll grow up, where, how he'll die. And 365 of these prophecies um, but what are the odds? What are the odds of some of these prophecies being fulfilled? All right, there's 365 of them. Before I get to the odds, let me take you through some other odds, okay? So just give me one sec. Okay, so the first odd the odds of you uh, being injured by a toilet. Okay, you, the, the odds of you being injured by a toilet, apparently they're dangerous, okay? The odds are one in 10,000. Okay? The odds of dying, of you dying in an airplane crash, okay? The odds are one in 9,737. Okay, so make sure you listen next time they're doing that demonstration. Okay, I know we all ignore it. The odds of being struck and killed by lightning is one in 174,426. The odds of being eaten by a shark are one in 3,748,067. Now, I came across this one. It's pretty crazy. I'm sure you'll all enjoy it, but there's... There's a chance of being attacked by a shark while being struck by lightning. Okay, and I couldn't figure out the, I'm not a mathematician, so I couldn't quite convert it into odds, but this is the percentage. Enjoy. Um, These two I actually got from the New South Wales government website. Uh, The odds of winning the lottery, the Division 1, is 1 in 8,145,060. And the odds of winning the Powerball jackpot is uh, 1 in 76,767,000. Okay? Yeah, stop wasting your money. So, there's some pretty wild odds. Now, let me take you back. 365 prophecies. What are the odds of some of them being fulfilled? Some of those prophecies actually written down it wasn't, they weren't fables and kind of, they were actually written down hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was born. What are the odds of some of them actually coming to pass? What are the odds? Well, um, someone, Peter Stoner, his name was, he was the chairman of mathematics and astronomy, uh, the, the department at Pasadena City College. And about 30 or 40 years ago, he actually... Um, studied these prophecies 
and calculated, because he was a mathematician and a statistician, he calculated the odds um, for eight of these prophecies to be fulfilled. What would the odds be? And he chose a list of eight of them. One of them was born in Bethlehem. Um, and there were seven other ones, and we're all familiar with him, that he died by having his um, hands and feet pierced, etc. Um, they're, they're quite common ones, they're n- nothing outrageous. And he calculated that the odds of just eight of those prophecies being fulfilled as this. I can't even pronounce that number. Just eight of those prophecies being fulfilled, the odds are outrageous. The odds are impossible. The odds are incredible. And there are people who say, oh yeah, well Jesus, he studied the Bible, so he knew what he had to fulfill. So he just went along there and did whatever the prophecy said. And like, yeah, but it's a bit hard to decide where you're going to be born. <laughs> like, I don't know if Jesus, you know, in the womb. Well, he probably did, he was the Messiah, right? <laughs> but it's not just the story. It's an impossible story that came true. That is the Christmas story. He stacked up the odds against himself, that one in quadrillion, whatever it is, maybe someone can tell me how to pronounce that number. One, whatever that number is, it's got 17 zeros. He stacked up the odds against him and then said, I'll fulfill it. That's our God. That's our God. And this is the message of Christmas, really. No matter what the odds are, no matter what odds are stacked against you, Jesus can be born in the midst of whatever odds are against you and everything can change. That is the message of Christmas. Can we give Jesus a hand? No matter what the odds are against you, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what is coming against you right now. You might be sitting here thinking, well, yeah, I've got every odd stacked against me. I don't know why God would even want to take a look at me. Everything's a mess. Everything has always been a mess. Well, this is our God. He likes overcoming crazy odds. And the crazier your odds, the greater the story will be. The crazier these odds make that Christmas story so much greater. It's impossible, but that's our God. He's the God of the impossible. He comes to overcome the impossible. He comes to do the impossible. That's our great God. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 to 35. Let's go there. This is a bit of a long scripture, but basically there's Simeon. He's sitting um, in the temple and the Holy Spirit had led him there. Let's go to the next one. And God had showed him, the Holy Spirit had showed him that he wouldn't die until he had actually seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. 
He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about Him. Then Simeon blessed them, and He said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but He will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose Him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Simeon, just sitting there, and this baby, about to be circumcised, walks in, and the Holy Spirit shows him, this is the one. This is the anointed one. This is the Messiah of God. And on the surface, nothing had changed. On the surface, Rome was still occupying Jerusalem. Herod was still the king. There were beggars everywhere. On the surface, nothing had changed. But Simeon understood underneath everything had changed. On the surface, nothing, but underneath, everything had changed. Simeon realized that here, the Messiah, the Son of God, had come to challenge the powers of the world. Nothing seemed like it had changed, but everything had changed. And that's how it is with our God. When He begins to move, it may look like nothing is changing. On the surface, it may look like nothing has shifted, nothing has been changed, nothing has been won, but underneath the surface, everything has changed. That is our amazing God. Think about it, everything had changed. Three wise men who come to worship God. This is an example of how things change. Herod had asked them to come back and report to him. But somehow they found themselves wanting to protect this child wanting to deceive the king of the land and actually go by a different path and not report back to Herod. Everything had changed. So what had actually changed? God became approachable. That is the first thing. God became approachable. Prior to that, you could not approach God. Every encounter with God was filled with fear and the prospect of death. Every encounter in the Old Testament was like that. Whether it was a prophet or someone else, every encounter was preceded with tremendous fear. And here, and I'll repeat that, there's a baby. Babies are the least scariest things in the world. You've gone from a God who people are terrified of to the least scary, the least terrifying thing in the universe. That's amazing. That is incredible. God became approachable. The second thing is God became seeable. Before you could not look at him, look at me and you'll die. I heard this example recently and it was a good one. Have you ever tried looking into the sun? You can't. Well, you can, you won't see very much before your retina burns out, but you can't do it unless you've got a filter before your eyes, between you and the sun. And here's Jesus, God. Whenever he said, you, you, can't, you can't look at me, 
if you look at me, you'll, you'll burn. The, the retina of your soul will burn. And so it also needs a filter to filter out his glory, to filter out his radiance, to filter out his light. And he comes and he puts on human flesh. He says, here's my filter. Now you can see me. Now I'm God that you can see. You can approach me. You can see me. You can know me. And the other thing it tells us is that his salvation is by grace. It's a gift. Today, a, a child is born. To us, a son is given. He's given. If I can ask the band to come. It's a free gift that God gives us in Jesus. None of us worked for it. None of us earned it. The earth didn't do anything phenomenal to usher in Christmas. It was just being. And God came at his appointed time, at, the, at just the right time, and gives his one and only son, as Dish was saying earlier. He comes and he gives his one and only son. Rose and I were shopping um, earlier in the week. We did the 36-hour thing at, at Parramatta. I lasted 10 minutes, hated it. I'll never do it again. But one of the things we did do was pick out a shirt as a gift for someone. And we, you know, we're looking between medium and large and like, what, what size do you think he is? And I said, oh, look at his pictures on Facebook. Let's see, maybe we can tell. You know, we wanted to get the right fit. We, you know, there's no point for someone who's a medium, there's no point me getting him a gift that's an extra, extra large, right? You, if you're gonna give someone a gift, it's gonna be the right fit. It's gonna be the perfect fit. You want it to be capable of being received. There's no point in someone receiving this and going, oh, this is a gift I can't receive because it's too big. It's, God gave us a gift in Jesus. It's to be received. It's capable of being received. It's the perfect fit. It's not too large and it's not too small. It comes and it fits perfectly in your soul. He's a person who comes to dwell in your heart. He's the perfect fit. God never gives someone a gift they are, are not capable of receiving. If He gives us the gift of Christmas, it's because we all have the ability to understand it and receive it. What a great gift. That God will become knowable. God will become seeable. God will become approachable. And that He would give us the gift of eternal life in Jesus. And all we have to do is receive it. It's a gift to be received. It's not a gift to be earned. Someone sitting here tonight is thinking, Oh, that gift might be for someone else, but it's not for me. You don't know what I've done. You don't, you don't know where I've been. Friend, that gift is for you too. Because that gift is not given based on whether you've been good or bad. It's not given based on your history. It's given out of God's love. His unconditional, His pure, His forgiving love. 